Hello, everyone, and welcome to this exclusive episode of Any Line, Anytime. My name is Mark Babin, and it's so great to have you listening today. This episode is all about the legal implications of technological innovation and mobile data capture. As we have said in past episodes, innovation must be paired with compliance, and adhering to the legal requirements is something that we take very seriously, as you should also. Joining me for this episode is our own head of legal, Sabina Conrad, and the director of the Institute for Innovation and Digitization at the University of Vienna, Professor Dr. Nicholas Forgo. So let's get right into this great discussion. I know you will enjoy it, and I'll speak to you on the other side. Enjoy. Thank you so much for being here, Sabina. Hi, good morning, Max. Thank you very much for your nice invitation. Absolutely. Great to have you in the studio as well. Professor Forgo, thank you so much for joining today. Great to have you on the episode and look forward to uh, your insights today. Thank you for having me. Very pleased to be here. Thank you. Excellent. So let's jump right into it. I know we have uh, plenty to cover today, uh, so let's jump right in. So I'd love to start with uh, our conversation by looking through some of the main legal challenges when it comes to the technology that we work with and, of course, that uh, thousands of others in the same industry work with. So in dealing with artificial intelligence and data processing, where do you feel the primary legal challenges come from? Professor Fargo, if I could come to you on this first, please. Actually, I think uh, that's already very difficult to answer, right? Because it's not just one challenge. There are quite some of them. And it very much much depends on whether you look into this from a European perspective or from an international perspective, because the legal framework differs quite significantly. So I will primarily focus on the European and the Austrian situation at the moment, if I may. Excellent. And coming from this, I would say the, the main issue is that after 50 years of computers in the world, uh, finally, the European Commission has identified this as an issue to be regulated and is extremely, extremely active in, in providing new documents, new pieces of legislation on a more or less monthly basis. And some of them are completely new in the sense of that there is nothing in the world that could be used as a model. So for example, um, the commission just presented something on artificial intelligence as a regulatory piece um, that is worldwide, probably the first piece of legislation in the area. And others are rather old. So in particular, everything which comes with data protection issues goes back to the 70s and 80s of the 20th century. And between those two extremes, something which is old and traditional on the one hand and something which is completely new and up to the edge, it's quite quite challenging, I would say, to navigate through. And just to make this clear, Using one example, um, the the main distinction that is made in data protection from the very beginning is the distinction between personal and non-personal data. Whenever something is personal, then you are within the framework of data protection. Whenever something is not personal, you are outside scope of data protection law. And this is, in theory, very difficult, uh, very easy, but in, in practice, it's very difficult to draw this distinction. And on top of this distinction, you now have this compute completely new framework of artificial intelligence. And it's very difficult then to go through these different layers of regulation in a specific use case. Wow, so it does sound quite complicated. So coming to you, Sabina, 
obviously knowing some of these primary challenges and how complicated it is, is there some that you see more often than others, more common? Um, regarding the data protection, um, I totally agree. So um, what sometimes seems for me very clear from a legal perspective, um, challenges we meet in discussions with our development team when it comes to, to the practical solution. And um, what, from my point of view, is also a challenge is that law is, in fact, always a little bit lacking behind. Um, technical innovation is, is, is rapidly growing and, and fires the engine of technical development. And um, on the other hand, law grows with this innovation. I would even say sometimes it grows behind this innovation. Um, and the best example is, is the data protection regulation. So this is nothing which, which is new. It's, we, ha we have it for many, many years. But when it comes when it came to the data protection regulation in 2018, um, we realized that um, it was quite new for some people that uh, data protection really exists and uh, it is it is not handled as it should be. Interesting. Dr. Forgo, is that something you would agree with as well then or are there other maybe perhaps common things that you see pop up here? Oh, absolutely, I agree. And I mean, one of the main reasons why people suddenly started to be interested in data protection was the the, the simply the fines, right, and the size of the fines. So that is another tendency that I would see that the Commission takes things seriously now by suggesting significant fines for breaking the law, uh, and that makes the situation even more challenging, right? Not only it's difficult to assess whether whether you are inside or outside scope of GDPR. It's also rather relevant because if you are wrong in this, you are risking in, in extreme cases several million euro, right? So, so you, you should better look into this before, before a data protection authority knocks at your door and asks questions. So coming at it from people are, are perhaps looking at it more on the find, not wanting to be fined uh, at this point, I guess, and that makes them adhere to the laws more. But in our industry, that needs to kind of make a switch is what we're saying. We need to look at it first, not in a fine perspective, but in a, this could hinder our business and this could actually accelerate our business. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I totally agree to that. However, um, although we have very significant fine uh, fines, um, you should not be afraid of data protection. I also recognize, or I get the feeling that people become less innovative as they are afraid of doing something wrong. Yes. Yeah. And I think it affects every type of business. That's a really good transition. So as you know, AI development around the industry obviously requires significant amount of personal data. Uh, we work with plenty of it, not only from a learning perspective for the innovation of the technology, but also from a daily function as well. We have to use it in, in a lot of the activities we do, whether it's the innovation or the marketing or, or all these different efforts. So when it comes to the technical processes behind the innovation, I think it's pretty common knowledge that the strict protection laws, like you said, tend to slow down or even hinder the progress that we make, right? Right. I, I absolutely agree, yeah. And um, you have to be very um, precise and um, cautious um, also as an in-house legal, not to scare people with regu legal regulations, um, but uh, get the right point uh, to, to stop or to, to call for another discussion in order to, to meet the compliance regulations. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, data is something uh, which is uh, data or data protection, so to say, is a is a fundal, fundamental right in 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 Europe. And um, so, Professor Forgo, I think you had a project in this direction uh, with a with a legal topic which is still since many years on the table, um, the e-privacy regulation. Um, maybe could you give us some insights here? I can, uh, yeah, I can. Um, so actually, I mean, there is, you are completely right that uh, data protection is a fundamental right in Europe and that makes things difficult because uh, whenever something intervenes with the right to data protection, it intervenes with a fundamental right, just like the right to life or the, the freedom of expression and so on. So things are taken very seriously here. And, and in particular, when it comes to something which was rather strange in the 80s and 90s of the, of, of the 20th century, which is the internet, which was then strange, but is of course today an, a, a something we can't think about living without it. And if you, and when you, you talk about big amounts of data, um, then uh, these fundamental rights issues become specifically relevant when you start transferring data outside Europe. Um, and, and that is a standard problem because data is no longer, at least in many cases, is no longer stored just in, in one legislation and in one nation. It is transferred all over the world. Um, and, and that brings with it uh, implications on privacy on an international level. And as uh, the right to privacy or the right to data protection is not seen in a very similar way to the European approach as a fundamental rights, things start to be very complicated there. And the Court of Justice of the European Union, as you know better than me, has issued several opinions on in how far it would be legal or not legal to process and transfer data outside Europe. And what we did in this project in particular was to think a little bit about in how far data that is, for example, stored in a European data center but is used um, for or need, is, is needed and potentially used for a law enforcement issue somewhere else in the world, such as in the US or in India or in China. China is an important example here, by the way. Um, uh, whether and under which conditions those Chinese or US or uh, whatever it might be, Indian uh, police authorities might get or might not get access to data that is physically stored in Europe. That is. That is one of the issues we are dealing with here. Okay, so kind of coming off that, you mentioned the law enforcement. I know this is a big section that you're focused on. Now, knowing that many of the projects you supervise deal with both AI and machine learning and their use within the law enforcement agencies, courts, and, and other government bodies, um, looking what's currently being used by these agencies, why is it such an important topic that, that you choose to be leading right now? Well, because I think that it's uh, from from a scientific point of view, extremely interesting because it brings so many political, ethical and legal implications. Right. So uh, all of us read 1984 and all of us are blaming China uh, for its social scoring system, for example. Right. Um, and on the other hand, uh, it's not that I mean, at least the technology is available everywhere in the world and we need to identify what we are accepting as a European, uh, I would say, uh, democracy and, and, and state of and, and, and uh, under the, the principle of the rule of law. 
and uh, and what we are not willing to accept. And what I'm doing in these projects in particular is that I'm not developing something that is then really used on the street by police authorities, but I try to understand what is technically possible and what would the implications of such a technology be under the European umbrella of laws and values. Um, maybe a question from my side, Professor Verger. Where do you think will this um, will this industry go? Do you think we will rather face also in Europe the, let's call it Chinese way, or do you? Well, think I, that's a very interesting question. I had I, I recently had a very interesting uh, conversation um, on a panel with uh, the Vice President of the European Commission, uh, Margrethe Vestager, who is in part in charge of the AI regulations in Europe. And she proactively, without being asked about this, uh, said that she would really ask Europe not to follow the Chinese way, right? So it's a clearly high-level political goal mm -hmm. not to do it in the Chinese way. On the other hand, when you look into the, uh, into the regulation as it is proposed by the Commission now, uh, it does have a rule which prohibits AI for uh, uh, for something which looks like social scoring but at the same time there are tiny little exceptions in tiny little cases that might be important for law enforcement reasons so i think the european way will be um uh, will be clearly not chinese but it will not clearly be anti-chinese either right so it will be somewhere in the middle and this is also what vestaya thinks that the right way would be right so somewhere in between the chinese Uh, you know, uh, rather authoritarian approach on the one hand and the US approach, I, I know that I'm simplifying very much here now, which would be do whatever you want, right? And Europe would be somewhere in the middle in between, right? So that's that's what they want to achieve at least. Is that where you see it headed then? Is that where, from from your expert opinion and from the work you're doing, Do you see us well, actually, I in think that, that the, 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 the political will is clearly going into this direction. The problem mm -hmm. I see is the technology is not developed in Europe, right? So um, <laughs> we, are, we, we tend to regulate things that are developed somewhere outside Europe, and that makes it difficult to put um, European laws and values into this if it's developed under different laws and values. That's the, the, the thing we are mainly struggling with at the moment, I think. I think I can jump in here because that's this is something we're struggling here as well um as recently as the privacy shield with the united states was repealed by uh schrems too um we are now facing here quite significant problems with our data flow in the in the u.s um What do you think is, is the best advice to give um, young companies who does not have unlimited budgets for, for such issues um, to deal with this sometimes rapid um, changes in, in, in data uh, legislation? So I have a very fundamental advice and a very down-to-earth advice. Let me start with the down-to-earth advice, right? Great. So I, I think the down-to-earth advice is uh, ignoring the law will not help, right? So provided that you want to stay in Europe, and I would suggest that there are many reasons why you should stay in Europe, provided that you want to stay in Europe, uh, ignoring the issue will not help. And at the same time, um, asking for legal advice can be, as many people know, rather costly. 
but there are plenty of people who have an interest in the startup industry who are not necessarily fully qualified lawyers, but who at least have some basic understanding about what the issues might be, and those are students. So my down-to-earth approach would be try to find two or three skilled law students who have an interest in, in making a career or building up their life in the startup industry or in the technology industry and get them aboard in, in this or that role and ask them all the nasty questions. And as I said, not necessarily everything that you will receive will be the best answer you could get from a highly skilled 20 plus years of experience having lawyer, but still you get a basic idea. That would be my down to earth um, idea. And I, 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 I guarantee if something uh, with an interesting idea pops up at the law school in Vienna, you will find people who are interested in this um, and you will find uh, possibilities to interact with uh, skilled students. The fundamental approach would be make yourself heard, right? So this is, um, this is something which is not only about the law, it's also about the values and the ethical opinions under the law. And we need really in Europe a lot more of debate of where we want to go and what we want to have here. And, and this means that everyone who is participating in the development needs to be heard. And I see quite some issues in, in Austria and in Europe, but in particular in Austria, for the technology industry to be heard in this debate. Really nice two approaches there. And I think coming back to that down-to-earth uh, method that you mentioned by going out and reaching out, perhaps that would help to alleviate a lot of initial concern perhaps and then if things obviously become a bigger issue then that's when maybe they take that bigger step and they know it's a safe investment rather than like you said just seeking legal advice can be expensive uh, Mm -hmm. for a consultation for a small company trying to save every dollar so getting the students on board to at least find where they need to focus uh, more on is, is a great approach. I love that. So thank you for that. I guess building off of that and looking at advice for young companies, um, obviously I'd love to take advantage of you being here in this respect to, again, help to guide some of these young companies a little bit more. So to start, I'd love to ask you, where do you see companies, companies focusing too much attention on uh, when it comes to the legal side of innovation in particular, Dr. Forgo? Um, actually, I think um, the, it's, a, it's a mixture of too much and too less um, of attention, right? Because, okay. because all the legal issues are constantly seen as a threat, it's too much attention to all of them. In particular, data protection tends to be completely over-exaggerated. But on the other hand, this is the outcome of too little um, attention because nobody takes the time or took the time to look into the details. It's not true that GDPR makes everything impossible. As Sabine rightly mentioned 10 minutes ago, it's important to be precise. It's important to really understand what the issue is about, but then you will find a solution. So GDPR and everything which is connected with GDPR is, in my view, exaggerated as a threat. At the same time, it's exaggerated because nobody takes the time and has the energy and the willingness to look into this. It's very similar to tax law, for example. Nobody wants to look into tax law because it's so uh, it's so complex and you don't like to pay taxes. And so and GDPR or data protection is quite the same thing, right? Nobody wants to deal with this and it looks complicated and therefore everyone is threatened by this. I call GDPR sometimes a weapon of mass destruction because you can 
you can ruin everything if you want by simply putting this on the table. Yes, absolutely. It's often seen as the as the stop sign, um, but it it shouldn't. It also gives us great opportunities, I think. And um, so, my advice to to keep it short is, um, for example, do not be afraid of legal regulations, but also do not in- ignore them. Yeah, I think that's a great one because, yeah, I think a lot of us who don't understand, myself included, obviously I'm speaking with two legal experts here and I'm definitely the odd man out. But when I hear things like this, immediate red flags come up like stop what you're doing because we're afraid of of the fine or we're afraid of overstepping our boundary. But people need to not be afraid of that so much, but then be a, be concerned with the right things. I think mm-hmm. that's right, Sabina. Yes, and figure out what are the uh, what are the details and um, there is a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really great points. Good. Uh, I think super interesting, again, from someone who sits outside of this uh, department and perhaps pushes the boundaries on it from a marketing perspective. It's really good insight for me uh, to have this conversation. So again, thank you both so much for the, the great insights. Um, hopefully lots for the audience to take away as well. Uh, before we wrap up, anything, Sabina, that you'd like to mention? I think, uh, thank you very much for this great discussion. Um, um, I think we get to know that it's not only GDPR. There are many, many aspects, and I'm very happy to hear that uh, there's much on the table of the European legislator um, to bring up in the next days, months, weeks, years. And I'm very excited uh, to hear about that, to learn about it, and to implement it, of course. Yeah, we certainly look forward to you telling us what to do. <laughs> and Professor Forgo, any last comments from you before we wrap up today? Yeah, it's it's a wonderful world we live in because there are so many new developments, also from a legal perspective, and it's it's really a lot to do and a lot to solve. So plenty of work and plenty of fun ahead of us, I'm quite sure. <laughs> but approachability, I think, being the main thing here, not to be afraid of things. I love Indeed. that point that you made. Indeed. Great. Well, good. Again, on behalf of AnyLine, thank you so much for being here. Uh, It's been a great discussion. And uh, as I mentioned, lots for the audience to take away and uh, perhaps be less intimidated with some of the legal aspects, more more approachable. So again, uh, Professor Forgo, thank you so much for joining us. And Sabina, of course, thank you for joining me in the studio today. Appreciate you coming into the office. And uh, it's great to see you. So thanks again. Thanks again, both of you for being here. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you very much. Such an interesting topic. I really love and want to again highlight what our guest Professor Forgo mentioned, that the legal side of innovation needs to be addressed with open arms. Legal requirements and legislation doesn't all have to be this dark figure in the corner of the room and can actually help you to grow your business faster. Again, a big thank you to our guests today, Sabina Conrad and Professor Forgo. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope all of you enjoyed this topic and were able to take plenty of thoughts away with you. If you have any questions or wish to add to this conversation, please don't hesitate to drop us a line directly or engage with this podcast recording. Until next time, wishing you all a great day, no matter where in the world you may be. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy. I'll see you very soon.